Welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You. I'm your host, Walker Brooks, and today we have athletic writer Mike Dugar, as well as WSU alumni. So thank you for coming on. Appreciate you having me, man. What's the, uh, what's the name of the, or what's the origin behind the name of the pot? Um, so the origin is I used to talk, I used to talk to my dad about every WSU game my freshman year, and then I always say, let me tell you. So it was just every time I had a pin, it'd be, let me tell you. And then I just decided to call it, let me tell you. And then I kind of right. cut that out of my vocabulary somehow. That's it. All right. Give us a 30-second elevator pitch about yourself. Hmm. Oh, all right. Well, I'm a young black journalist, uh, the first, one of the first in his uh, family to graduate from a four-year university. Very proud of who I am, my blackness, and what I've become. And my goal is to inspire people in whatever I do, whether as a journalist, as a friend, as a partner, as a son. Yeah, and that'll never change, no matter what my profession is, how old I get, or how much status or fame or money I acquire. Fantastic. That was a brilliant, brilliant elevator pitch. Okay. So, That's a lot to tell someone in an elevator, man. Yeah. But, no. <laughs> what has your newspaper journey been like, for people who might not know, since you left the Daily Evergreen? I was the arts and entertainment writer slash Sunday page designer for the Moscow Pullman Daily News in 2017, from about April or May to... October of 2017. And then I became the sports editor of the Moscow Pullman Daily News that involved also designing pages every other night. And I was the high school sports writer for the all the high schools in Idaho in our readership area. I believe, let's see if I can remember. It was Moscow High, Potlatch High, Kendrick High. I don't have to say high, they're all high schools. Kendrick, Deary, Deary High School, yep. Genesee. Mm, I'm missing one. But yeah, I think, oh man, I almost had them all. But I think, yeah, it was it was like five or six, including Moscow. And I also covered University of Idaho athletics. So I wore a lot of hats, high school, college, editor, page designer. I did that until about, oh, sorry, I got the date wrong. I started in 2014, not 2017, sorry. And then I stopped doing that into April 2017. There it is. Went to the Seattle PI to cover the Seahawks. Did that for... I did that for a year for the Seattle PI. Then we launched the Athletic Seattle in spring of 2018. And I got hired in May of 2018 to cover the Seahawks. And I've been doing that ever since. So a pretty big jump there from eight-man football to covering Russell Wilson. It was Jake Dickert's first game as acting head coach. What was your impression of the team? Man, it was really unfortunate that we lost because of something special teams related. That's just such a third phase of the game that you never want to lose because of. But I thought it was good that the team didn't roll over. You know, uh, people kept asking me all week how I thought we were going to perform. And I keep telling them, losing your coach goes one of two ways, usually. Usually you have some freaking fight or you roll over and die. And you never really know. Uh, some, some An NFL example was the Raiders when they lost John Gruden. It was like, okay, are the Raiders going to stink now? Or are they going to like, it's going to be like a galvanizing event. And it was the latter. Same thing with USC when they lost um, their coach this year. People kept asking me before they played us, actually. I was like, oh, how's the USC going to be? I was like, I don't know, man. They could either, we could either blow them out or they could blow us out. Like, it go either way because of, that's how things work when you lose your coach. And obviously, it was they blew us out. They haven't been super good since then. But that first game after is usually the one that has so many emotions in it. And how to control your emotions usually determines whether you win or lose the game. So um, I thought I have to, I'd have to rewatch the game to really know like, oh, how we performed or whatnot. I do think that just our first watch schematically i thought 
their defense was far more prepared for our offense than vice versa, which makes sense when you lose the offensive coaches that we lost. We had a lot of holding, we had offensive line penalties, a lot of them. I don't know how many, but it felt like a ton. They were backbreakers each time. It felt like you know, drive killers. I mean, it looked like they played some Jimmy Lake style defense. BYU did basically inviting Jalen or Jaden to throw it underneath or hold the ball for a long time. You have to go through a lot of reads. It looked like he had a lot of time back there. Then you look and it's like, wait, there's only three dudes rushing him. That's why. So, and that forced him to make some really dangerous throws. Like I said, I just think they were prepared. They had a good game plan. And I don't think, I think that was the area where it looks like, huh, this is a team that just lost four offensive coaches. <laughs> like that, that part of it was the only thing schematically. I was like, yeah, losing Rolo and everything that happened had an impact on that particular facet of the game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, we also just completely got outrushed by BYU. An absurd amount. It was like, I saw the stats, like 250 rushing yards to not to 93. It was absurd. They just completely ran down our throat. Yeah, the run numbers are weird in college because they count sacks, I think, still. as oh, a, really? Yeah, they count like sacks as yards lost on a rush, I think. So it's, it's very misleading. Uh, I don't know how to get around that. I don't cover college enough to have the stats in front of me. But yes, they ran it down our throats. I do think that one, I mean, one area that, I could see that happening quite a bit just because we are really light up front. I think we only have like one dude who looks like a true defensive tackle and the rest of them just look like tweeners. And we're kind of doing the speed D thing that we did a few years ago, which is fine, but you're susceptible to getting just muscled uh, in some games. And I think that's going to occasionally happen. We saw it happen before. Even when our defense was really good, some teams would just run it right through us because it's like, dude, you got 275 pound defensive tackles. That's not how it works. And the other team has 300-pound offensive linemen to Pac-12. So, um, yeah, that that was that didn't seem like as much of a schematic thing as, like, like one of those runs, Jihad misses the dude, then Hicks misses the dude, and he runs, like, what the hell is Dickert supposed to do? Like, tackle. Like, this guy's not how to tackle. So the, the offensive part was where I was, like, not having coaches really burned us. Obviously, the next question in everyone's mind is who replaces – does Dickert become the full-time head coach? Do you have any candidates in mind? I have a couple. Do you have any? I don't have my pulse on college football um, enough to really get behind someone. Like I trust some people I trust, you know, one of my homies covers Nevada and we were talking, he's a, a Wazoo alum too. And we were talking about uh, Norvell. Um, I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's cool. He was kind of telling me a little bit of what he's about and how he's done in Nevada, giving me some context beyond like the win loss record and stuff like that, which is important. Um, you got to know like, who did that coach recruit? You know, what assistance would he bring with him? Who did they recruit? Because like, not the head coach recruits all, you know, 25 guys in every cycle, right? He okays them, but he's not the one always at these fields interviewing or meeting with the players and having all those connections with high school coaches. So that matters. I would be a fan of bringing Grinch back. I just, I haven't heard that he would want to live over here again, which is crazy just because the places he lived still ain't great, but he's had bigger, I mean, yeah, living like Norman, you know, that's not like, it's not Vegas. So, but I, I get it. Like he can, he can probably get big, bigger jobs. He's been defensive coordinator with Ohio state and Oklahoma. So if we would, I don't know how well he'd be as a, a recruiter of other positions. His staff would be important. I would love for us to bring coach Joe back, like steal him back from that Oregon staff. That would be super fun. I don't know how much I'd have to see his staff on the Graham Harrell thing. I don't, I don't just think like, cause the head coach does so much other stuff. It's not just all right, you got, you're a good offensive mind, so let's bring you in. Or you're a good defensive mind. You got to be able to motivate guys and get guys in the building. And it's, I think it's a lot easier to do that when you have a track record of having done it before, specifically in this region. But I don't think regional experience matters a ton. Um, so those are the, I guess, the people I've trusted have kind of floated those names. 
uh, around. I'm sure there's some more to some hotshot up and coming coordinators or something like that. I would prefer someone with head coaching experience just because this we don't really have time to figure out like the growing pains of being a first time head coach. Like, dude, we need you to have done this before because we're trying to win right now. Yeah, we need to. And then I selfishly, I would like us to have our, I think we will be our first black head coach in history. I don't think we've had one before. I would selfishly love to see that. I think that, I mean, it always feels like a no brainer, to be honest. Like if I, and this goes for journalism too. If I like have a sport where most of the players are Hispanic, like baseball or something like they're Spanish speaking or whatever. I would want my beat writer, if I was an editor, to like, hey, I'm gonna hire someone who speaks Spanish. Yeah, it's pretty freaking simple, right? Oh, oh, all these players in the NBA are black? Well, if I'm a beat writer, I probably want somebody black, you know, or a coach or whatever, just because relating to the guys is so important, particularly in the NBA, where you have to motivate these grown-ass men for a long time, and you, your little rah-rah speeches that maybe you used in college or whatever, I didn't want to hear that after game 53 in, you know, Salt Lake. Like, coach, just shut up. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. College football is very similar. you got a largely black workforce, young black dudes. You just got to find somebody who relates to the guys, can motivate them, can get them through all the ups and downs they're going to experience from ages 18 to 22. You should also have a good coach, so don't just hire the first black guy you run into. But I think... It's not that hard to be like, all right, let's let's see if we could find a really good black head coach to run our program. If we can't, then go find someone else. But that would be selfishly if they, if Chun called me and be like, yo, why don't you try that? At least try it. If you don't find nobody, you don't find nobody. But give it a shot. No, I mean, I'm, I I agree with you on that. We saw the kind of the downfall of someone not being able to a coach Ed Ogeron. He got a lot of backlash during the George Floyd uh, in uh, the, the, when college football had the, the Clemson and Alabama, their teams, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney marched with their players and they stood together while Ed Ogeron completely did not show up and he kind of ignored the issue and said he, he said he didn't understand it, but that was what kind of caused some of the friction we now see of him getting let go. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, no, and, and that was an underrated part of, um, we, it was our story. I think our writer's name was like Brody Miller. Yeah, I, um, I read he, his story. Yeah, yeah, he that was an underrated part of, why Ed's gone. I mean, the stuff about him hollering at the pregnant lady at the gas station, like was obviously the most like spicy part of it. But the underrated part was like, dude, your, your players felt like you let them down. No. You know, like they needed you in a moment that went beyond football and you didn't deliver. And that that is when you really lose the locker room. It's not because you hollering at a chick at the gas station. All your players are doing that too. You know, like Urban Meyer in the NFL, like, okay, coach, you had a chick grinding on you after the game. World. Dude, this is a locker room of 20 year old black dudes. You don't think people grind on us after the games too when we be out? You know, it's like that's that is not how you lose locker room. It's the other stuff. So just being able to just like relate to and not only black coaches can relate to black players, but I mean it's a lot more natural. Duh. That's just any 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 race. So I think that would be where I'd love to love to start. I don't mean make an affirmative action higher, but like I said, you go out there and you find it's not hard to be like, all right, let's find the best black candidate we can. Oh, there's no one really that fits that. All right, move on. But right. I Googled it the other day. I think the Nevada dude black. He don't look like it when you Google him, though, but I think he is. I mean, the Pac-12 had a nice little little run there for a little bit with the Colorado coach, Jimmy, David Shaw. They had, like, the most of any Power 5 conference there for a hot second. It was, like, Jimmy Lake, the Colorado oh, coach. Who, yeah, who's now at uh, he's at Michigan State now. But it was the Colorado coach, David Shaw, Jimmy Lake. Oh, this is going to bug me. There was just – they had the highest amount – I think in the power five and the most non-white coaches because of another, I, I'm Crystal missing Ball. somebody. Yeah, Crystal it was Crystal Ball. Ball. I don't remember what and, race he's, but he's not white. And then, um, oh, the two Arizona coaches. There it is. Oh, it was, Herb uh, Edwards, yeah. And, and at the time of this report, I think they still had someone at Arizona. I don't know if he's still there now. Oh, no, he's not. Um, 
Yeah. So at the time, I was like, the Pac-12 had a nice little run there. Yeah. And it didn't always pan out. It's not always going to pan out. Right. The point is you can make the effort in a way that like is logical. It's not just like, let's yeah. do it for the sake of doing it. Like I said, there are reasons to believe that that is an advent. That's an advantage you have over like a grumpy old white guy who's good at offense, you know? I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. So let's talk about basketball. I remember you mentioned during when you stopped by our Comdra 47 class that basketball was your sport. So what I want to know is, is there a player that you are very excited to see for the men's or women's basketball team? I did just see the women just smack somebody last night or yeah, the other 50, day. 51 point win against St. Martin last night. I was at that game. Fantastic. Good Lord. Game. I think it's division two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It, that's in October, we should be winning games like that. Yeah. Makes sense. But I just saw the score. I woke up and saw, I was like, good Lord. So I think on the, on the men's side, though, I mean, I really think we have to like rally around Noah's attitude. Like, I think that's so important how he plays, man. He's like, I was telling somebody the other day, he's like our Draymond Green, man. Like, he's going to do some stuff. He's going to piss off the other team sometimes, but he's going to embrace the booze from that, from the road team's crowd or or from the home team's crowd. We're on the road, you know, like he's going to want the ball in his hands to make that play, whether it's the free throw line or a clutch shot, you know, he's going to argue with the other team's best player and maybe get a tech, you know, or whatever, who cares? Like eat that tech sometimes if it, if we, cause we need that. We still need that identity. We're a really good defensive team. We can have some weird offensive lapses sometimes, um, but we, you could tell Kyle kind of wants to hang his hat on like effort stuff and defensive stuff, which is fine. At the end of the day, though, like I like the attitude part. I, I like that. Not even that if Noah's our best player. Like I think Fa is probably our most talented player. That boy is he is he is a freak athlete, man. I think Deshaun is just the. I, mean, I saw a picture of him at media day. I was like, you look like an NFL or NBA center. Like that dude is built. He is built, man. So, but I think Noah, man, the, his mindset. He's just not afraid of nothing. He almost got the mindset of like an undersized point guard. You know, like he's a not undersized. Right, yeah, sure. but he's got like the Napoleon kind of complex thing going where it's like, dude, I am not a scared. I'm not afraid of you. I'm David with the slingshot. So like, beware, no matter how big you are. So whether whether Noah's like our highest scoring player, he's all packed twelve, whatever. I just think that like his attitude is gonna like be the thing that I like the most and watch the most and hope that we can kind of build around. Because you look at some of those Warriors teams. Like when they had Draymond, like of course Draymond wasn't the best player. He probably wasn't even the third best player a lot of the time. But like he could he he could hold the other guys accountable. They could hold him accountable, and the other guys on the other team respected him and hated him. And it was like a great great balance. And I think that could be Noah for us. And like I said, he wants the ball at the end of the games, and that takes some stones, man. That's just not that's not for the weak. So I really like that about his game. He's my and it's not just because he's from South Seattle like me. It's just in general, I like his. I like his swag. He got the sauce, man. We need to build on that. No, I like Noah too. I think Muhammad Gay is also going to be interesting just because he's just a projected top 10 pick and he's 7-1 and can play every single position. So I'm excited for him personally. Where did we get him from? Uh, he was prolific prep Napa top 35 player. Ooh, okay. So Man, Kyle Smith can recruit, man. Yeah, that was – um. I think that was more of John Onderjack, the other – the Columbia recruit guy. But, yeah, no, Kyle Smith, they do a good job in it. They get I mean, his, when I say him, I mean like his staff, man. No, they yeah. just, they just, they just get it done, man. Now we're, I'm, I'm, I'm hype. I'm hype about the basketball thing, man. I saw some dark Ken Bone years there. It was a very dark time, and then yeah, I was there. For, I was at Ernie's introductory press conference, man. He was selling hope like a politician, man. And he just, he said some problematic things, like in hindsight. That when I heard him, I didn't think they were too bad. And then as his staff got going, his recruiting cycles, I was like, hmm. You know, one thing he said, I'll give an example. He could probably find a direct quote from the transcript, but he said something to the effect of, 
how he's going to recruit Pullman because of the weather. Like, it's not great. He was like, I ah, just go get kids from the Midwest. You know, they don't care. You know, they're from Chicago, Michigan, you know, and you know, Ohio, stuff like that. Like, there's ballers out there and then they go from those environments over to Pullman and don't care that it's not, you know, sunny and shiny all the time. And like I said, and I heard it and I was like, well, that's a little strange. Like, this kid's got Google, but whatever. He, uh, and then, but the, you saw like his recruiting classes. He had like Nye Redding from like Ohio. I forget who else he got for those from like Michigan. He had a couple kids from the Midwest that just couldn't ball and got kids like Trevor Dunbar and stuff. And just, just, just bad, just bad kids. One of them, I think we had a Cheatham kid who sucked from the thing, who's also like a Midwest JC guy. So my point is, saw some really bad teams in Pullman. So I'm really excited for Kyle Smith. Uh, I love that he cracks a beer after every game. Modelo. Very relate, very relatable content. He needs better beer than than Modelo, but we'll get him some. We'll work on that part. But cracking a beer after cool games is very, it's very relatable content that I, I do enjoy. That now, next step is the tourney. No excuses. Go make the tourney. Don't want to hear nothing else. Just go make it. Don't care what so, it takes. Do you think the? I mean, the Cougars are like the media darling, dark horse, John Rothstein hyping us up. Do you honestly believe we're NCAA contenders? Yeah, I think so. We've got to be what, like one of the best 68 teams in the country or something like that. Probably, probably be. I haven't really sunk my teeth into the college basketball landscape. Yeah, I'm a little busy, but yeah, Rossi be tweeting about us all the goddamn time. Love it. A lot of hype. I'm a big uh, advanced analytics guy. And, Ken you know, Palm. so like, yeah, Ken Palm, just like pace, pace of play stuff, like advanced offensive number, like some of the stuff that, that like oh, Bonton was just not great for. Like advanced, he was like a Westbrook type where like advanced numbers didn't favor him. But if you watch them, you're like, he's helping the team. Oh man, he would hurt us sometimes. He was also playing out of position. But yeah, I need to look at some of the advanced stuff, look at some of the other teams around the, the country, around the conference. I really haven't looked around the conference a lot, to be honest. Again, pretty busy. I think that if we defend at a really, really high level and do that consistently, it's weird because I, I want us to push the pace offensively but defend at a really high level which is tough but again i think the example that i like is this is super easy because they were the champs but like the warriors the warriors were a really good offensive team at like their peak but they defended the really 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 well just despite you know playing not up tempo but like i think their their pace of play was really high relative to like the rest of the league so i i like that style like push it man you don't gotta walk it up over coach and run a bunch of sets Watch the NBA all goddamn time. They're running a bunch of high pick and rolls, man. There ain't nothing fancy about what these teams are doing, but it's just letting their players be great. And then on defense, uh, keep your guy in front of you. And then, yeah, push it when you get the defensive boards. That w- If we can do that, man, yeah, I think we'd probably get in there as like a, I don't know, maybe like a 10 or something like that. That'd be fun. So I do a speed round, just rapid fire questions. You ready for them? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Ferdinand's ice cream or Cougar gold? Oh man, um, probably Cougar Gold. I'm a big cheese guy. So then, do you have a do you have a favorite flavor of Cougar Gold cheese? I I don't, but that have you? Okay, the speed round. So I'm a, I don't, but yes, Cougar Gold. I'm pick Cougar Gold. Yeah, no, I I like the uh, the hollow the the ghost pepper one. That's pretty good. Got a nice kick. Uh, I can see I'm not a big huge kick guy, but you know, hey, you can't go wrong with Cougar Gold. I mean, you just yeah. you just can't. Like when I remember the first time getting a whole can of it and being like, this is some great. This is great. Favorite place to eat in Pullman? Oh, that's tough. Okay, I got a tie. All right. Um, I'm, I'm a, I, don't eat, I don't eat red meat anymore, So, but when I did, when I lived in Pullman, Cougar Country was just, oh, man. I used to get, I forget what the name of the burger was, but I used to uh, go home and then fry an egg and throw it on top of there. Oh, 
It was, it was, it was like a, it was too patty, whatever it was. And then I'll go home, fry egg on there. Oh, it was freaking amazing. And then the other one is specifically on Wednesdays. If you go to, um, it's the joint downtown's Rico's. Yeah. There's Rico's. Yeah. The barbecue wings at Rico's on a Wednesday. Freaking fire. Oh man. Freaking fire. All right. Favorite class you've taken in WSU. Let's see. I would say there's a couple. That tough. Okay. Curveball here. I think I'm going to go with Theater 105. That was my first class. I don't even think they canceled the theater program my sophomore year. So anyway, uh, outside of like a journalism class, that one was really interesting because we had to learn how to like write a script and make a play. And it was, it's, I use some of the skills that I've learned there when just writing stories. Cause you learn about, I mean, obviously beginning, middle, end, but you kind of learn some of the importances of like setting a scene, character motivations, which is very important to kind of the, the flow of the story, creating dialogue. I've written a lot of stories, not a lot. I've written a few stories in which I like may, I use dialogue, like this character talking to this character within a story. So I think that I learned all that in my theater class. It was one of my first classes I ever took at Wazoo. And it's one of those low key ones you don't think about that taught me a lot of things about storytelling, which as you can imagine, very important in my line of work. All right. Those are all my questions. Where can people find you on social media? And is there an upcoming story or a story you've written that you recommend people check out? Follow me at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. A podcast, the Seahawks Man to Man podcast is always pinned to the top of my profile. You can check that out on YouTube. Spotify, The Athletic, Apple Podcasts, and then my author page for The Athletic is right in my bio on Twitter. So if you just go to my Twitter, you can get everything from me. I don't necessarily have any big stories coming up just because I cover a team that may or may not be good, and that can alter your story plans for a season. But what we do have on the podcast, we have some uh, interviews coming up with some uh, former players that we have planned for the season just because we... um, we had to pivot a little bit. We usually have a current beat writer for the opposing team during our midweek shows, but no one wants to hear from those people anymore just because the Seahawks are so bad and struggling in so many areas. So we're going to fill those spots with some some special guests, have some fun on the show. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man. That's two, the number two, Seahawks Man to Man. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. He was 18 or 19. He looked like a young guy. Ben, you should have done this guy right. What, I get him a stripper? What do you want me to do here? I get him a prostitute? What do you.